0: Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Come and let your glory, come and let your glory fall. Our Father, who art in heaven, the rock's crying. Come and let your glow come and let your glow fall. I will see. every heart proclaim the mercy of your name On earth as it is in heaven God, give us new every morning Your mercy is day In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus we pray and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us with your hand. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus we pray. That you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let every heart proclaim the mercy of your name on earth as it is in heaven.
1: Good morning, thank you for joining us in worship today. I'm gonna to take the chance to be a little different with today's message than the last few weeks that we have heard. And I'm gonna do that for a number of reasons. One, I feel like when I have been preaching into this microphone, it's been completely different in a lot of ways than the way that I would usually speak to a group of people. I'm oftentimes more candid and personal uh, when I'm in a room full of people than I feel like I have been speaking into the microphone. but two, today's message, I'm really coming from a different and um, well, we'll just say different spot in life than I usually do for most weeks. Uh, this past week has been a week of spiritual battle where I can definitely feel that Satan has been working on me from different angles and from different areas of life as I've um, had to make different decisions and had to make different choices and still trying to maintain church and ministry and family and parenting and all those things. And it seems that Satan has tried different ways to steal my attention and steal my affections uh, from the things that I know are necessary and the things that I need to do. So today I'm really just going to sit here and I'm going to talk into this microphone. Um, This is week three of our sermon series called Reset. And as I told you the first week, what I had visioned and what I felt God laying on my heart after Easter, uh, when we discussed the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and what it means to live into that resurrection power, is that uh, many believers live their entire lives and their entire understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Christ, completely devoid from experiencing or living in the power of Christ's resurrection. And so we live these lives claiming to be born-again people, claiming to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ in his resurrection power, But yet our lives are no different. The words that we speak are no different from somebody that has never made that confession and that our things that we do in life, our goals, our priorities are no different than somebody else. And so I felt that God was leading me towards this understanding that we have been raised up in a cultural Christianity where we... uh, most likely prayed the prayer, said the thing that we were supposed to say when we were young, and we grew up as Christians, but yet in reality, our hearts had never truly been born again into a newness of life in Christ. And as we followed Luke throughout the Lenten season, um, and we listened to the words of Christ, the things that he said that did not align with Our cultural understanding of believers or this Bible Belt understanding of what it means to be people who are sent out with one task and one purpose uh, just weighed heavy on me. And so we went back to Luke chapter 13 where Jesus talks to a group of people about what it means to truly repent. And the first week we we went through the first 10 verses there where people came to Jesus asking, why does bad things happen to good people? These people came to give their sacrifice and yet uh, Pilate killed them and mixed their blood with the sacrifice. And Jesus was very quick to tell them, hey, the end that they met is very likely and very realistically the same end that you could meet. But understand that if your heart is not right with God, then you will perish. And he uses this example of a tower that fell on these people. And he said, do you think that these people were like some awful, sinful people? And so God made this tower fall on them in this act of judgment. He said, no, that is the part of sin in life. And that's honestly where we're at in this coronavirus. It's not God pouring out his judgment on us because we've been disobedient. That is just the facts of sin and God's creation, Bad things are present. That is what the evidence of sin is, and we are all susceptible for that. So that, in and of itself, tells us of our need for Jesus Christ, knowing that death is going to come in this life, knowing that sickness is going to happen in this life. And so we have to place our hope not in how things are going to turn out in this life, but yet in the things that Jesus Christ has promised us and in the things that God has promised us, through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus goes on to talk to them about that parable that we talked about, the fig tree and of the leaven, and how God's kingdom moves in such small ways that we don't notice it. But to be rest assured that God is always moving and that God is always working in the lives of the people whose focus is on him and whose thoughts and hope is on him. And the next week we talked about how, as Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, this woman who had been disabled for so many years through what Luke records as a spiritual presence in her life, an evil spiritual presence in her life, that Jesus took this opportunity on the Sabbath day, the day that God's people were supposed to rest, and he healed her and he freed her from that affliction. But yet it wasn't the lost people, it wasn't the people outside of the church, but yet it was God's people who tried to set Jesus straight because the things that Jesus had done had not aligned with the traditions and with the rules and the understandings and the customs that they had been so uh, involved with and so known um, for and in their whole life, and how the the message that Jesus was trying to tell them that day was about that we had all sinned, we had all fallen short, and that we weren't created for the, the law, but the law was created for us. And the things that Jesus had come to do were to come and free us from the consequences of the law. And so this woman who Jesus referred to as the daughter of Abraham, one of the descendants of God's chosen people, he said the whole reason that he had came was to free her so that she could experience those goodness and those blessings. And his message was that, you know, when we try to feel superior to people because of our religion, because of our uh, religious obedience and the way that we can hold these rules, um, we begin to place our righteousness or we begin to place these rules uh, as more important than people. And Jesus said that's not what it's about, but it is about loving the people the same way that Jesus Christ loved us, because death is certain. Each one of us are going to experience death. Each one of us are going to experience hardship. Each one of us are going to experience pain and sorrow. The judgment day is coming when Jesus Christ will sit with God the Father and they will judge everyone according to the sin present in their life. And so here Jesus is saying that he has come to offer freedom from that judgment. He has come to offer freedom and a newness of life and that we as Christians have been given this mission and this ability to go and share of that freedom and to go and share of the hope of eternity, free of sickness, free of sorrow, free of oppression. But yet instead we choose to use the things of God and this newness of life in Christ to hold other people down and to control other people. And so here Jesus says in this passage is that we are the ones that can open God's kingdom for others by testifying what Jesus has done in our life about the understanding and the revelation of hope that we have. Or we can use it as a res- regulation to tell people that they're not good enough, to tell people that they have not been accepted and that there's nothing they can do. And there is nothing that they can do, but it is Jesus who did it, and we have that responsibility and Jesus said, we don't have to be the best speakers in the world. We don't have to be the, the most learned biblical uh, scholars in the world. But all we have to do is we have to have faith. And he compares it to like the mustard seed and to leaven. It takes a very little bit of faith in trusting in God to do amazing things. As Jesus confronts these people and he confronts the leader of the synagogue in this passage, Luke records that... It was because of the lack of faith in God and the abilities and promises of God that caused these people, known as God's people, to use God's rules and God's laws, a way to control others in a way that they could understand. And so Jesus invites them to a new understanding of what faith truly looks like when our faith is placed in Jesus Christ and what faith in trusting who God is. And that when we realize what Jesus Christ did for us in the faith that he calls us to, we begin to value people more than traditions. And we don't worry so much about how things ought to look and how things ought to be as we realize that God has given us all things in order to reveal the goodness and the salvation that comes from sin and from the entanglement and the snare of sin that comes through a life in in Jesus Christ. So Luke goes on to record that as Jesus went through one town and village after another in verse 22, he was teaching and making his way to Jerusalem as we know was his crucifixion and his death and again his resurrection on that Easter Sunday. Verse 23, Lord, someone asked him, are only a few people going to be saved? And Jesus said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because I tell you that many will try to enter and won't be able once the homeowner gets up and he shuts the door. Then you will stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up for us. And he will answer you and say, I do not know you or where you are from. But then you will say, we ate and we drank in your presence and we ta- and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I don't know who you are or where you are from. So get away from me, all you evil doers." There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place. And when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves will be thrown out. They will come from the east and the west, from north and the south, to share the banquet in the kingdom of God. And note this, some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. Jesus takes this opportunity to confront people who are struggling with a very profound and serious theological argument. And it is an argument that many of us need to face as we discern our faith and what it means to have a relationship in Jesus Christ We're told so often on one hand, you have to do these things in order to be an obedient Christian. You have to read your Bible every day. You have to pray. You have to watch so many videos on YouTube, listen to so many podcasts, and you have to measure up in all these ways. And the reality of it is, I don't know about you, but I cannot live up to the expectations that so many people place on us in order to be what is considered a diligent and due disciple of Christ. But Jesus speaks to those type of people here in this passage as he talks about that a relationship with Christ and learning to grow as a disciple is not keeping up with a new set of rules and lists in order to be considered obedient, but it is placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And once you have been touched and once the Holy Spirit has been in your life, You catch a glimpse of the reality of Jesus and what Jesus Christ truly did for you on the cross, that while you were a sinner, he gave his life for you and he took your place in that judgment that comes from the presence of sin. And then at that moment, seeking the kingdom of God is your main business of life. So Jesus is telling these religious elite here to be careful that you pay attention, that you are going through the narrow way. Wide is the way of religion, of living a certain way, looking a certain way, living up to certain expectations that people place on us and that we place on ourselves. But he said it's a very narrow road of having true faith and trust in the work of Jesus Christ. And he said to be careful and make sure that chasing God's kingdom is your your real work and that you don't take Jesus as a door hanger so that when people drive by your house or when people, uh, you know, just metaphorically drive by your life, They see that everything looks to be in order and so they're good to go and as long as everybody thinks good about you, you're good to go. But Jesus said this work of faith in Christ and the urgency of getting a relationship with God is important because death is coming. You can't postpone it. The kingdom of God is here and it is now and Jesus is saying it is time to respond on the narrow way of faith, of trusting your faith and believing in what he has come to do and the thing that he has come to do. And so he gives this example of the homeowner. It says that if you don't get things right with God now, if you don't get things right with Jesus Christ now, the time is going to come when the door will be shut. And the people who thought they had been living things right and the people who thought they were diligent but weren't living according to the word of God and not listening to the things that Jesus had said in the way that he had called them to turn away from things, that he was going to sit there as the homeowner and say, I don't know you. I don't know where you're from. And that's a thing that you and I can't afford to wonder about one day. Is Jesus going to tell us I don't know where you're from. So if you prayed your prayer of salvation, if you have lived your life as a Christian, but yet you are not dying to the word of God and you are not allowing the words of Christ to change you and to manipulate you and to make you into the new creation that Jesus tells us we were originally created for, we run the risk of transgressing God's word and finding ourselves here Like this person in the passage where they say, we ate with you and we drank in your presence and we listened to your teachings in the streets. But for the Savior to say, I tell you, I don't know you. And so my struggle this week as as a pastor, as I think about the words that I teach, as I think about a father whose job is to raise his children Believing in Christ and having a faith in Christ, the struggle for me has been, am I adequate? Am I doing what is necessary? Or am I preaching Christ in a cultural way that is easy to understand, that is easy to accept, where people can hear these words and continue to live comfortably? If we know anything through the lives of God's people, through the example in the life of the disciples, of Paul, of many people who have lived their faith with all that it means to be a follower of God's kingdom, we know that Christ does not call us to comfort Christ doesn't call us uh, to live in security according to the world's terms, but he calls us to live in one thing, that is an assurance of eternity through Jesus Christ. He says that life here on this earth is going to be hard. He says that things are going to come against us because of our faith. So as we look at this passage here, as we see the way that Jesus is talking to the people who are known as God's people, He says to be careful that you are going through the narrow door because so many people on that day when Christ calls his people home are going to be standing at the door trying to get in, but they're not going to get in because they have misunderstood what it means to be a disciple of Christ. A disciple of Christ is not turning to God only when times are hard, when things are tough. A disciple of Christ is not just doing good works, hoping that it's good enough to please God one day. But a disciple of Christ is someone who has read the words of God that before Jesus Christ we had one path and one destination and that was headed towards sin and that was headed towards hell and that was headed towards an eternity away from God. But because of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection, we have been given the opportunity for a newness of life, and we have been called to live differently than the world, to look differently, to sound differently, to reason differently, and to die differently. And the death that we are called to is not the physical death, but it is dying to ourself so that we might understand that God has established his kingdom here on earth for people to live according to kingdom principles, for people to trust in Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation, to find comfort in the midst of discomfort because they trust in what Jesus Christ has called them to. So as we think about resetting our theology, as we think about being people of God and true disciples of Jesus Christ, Can we say that we read the Word of God and we find who we are supposed to be and how we are supposed to live? And are we living into it because we believe what Jesus Christ has said? Jesus asks the people here in this interaction to consider the reason why they respond. Do they respond out of expectation? Do they respond because it is the cultural thing to do? Or do they respond because they realize that within these words are the words to life? And so as we reset our theology, as we think about it, are we listening to this warning from Jesus Christ that the time will come when we will all stand before God to be judged, those that have never heard and those that have heard. This is the second time in Luke's gospel where we find this warning that people who thought they have had it right their whole life at the time of judgment will come and say, Lord, and Jesus will tell them, I don't know who you are. So I ask you today, as you do an inventory of yourself and as you think who you are, are you following Jesus because you have placed your faith and your trust and your hope in him and you have allowed the Holy Spirit to change you, to convict you, to mold you? Are you following Jesus because it's culturally expected of you, because you heard it growing up, because you've been told that you need to do it, because somebody has told you if you don't do this, this is going to happen? These are the people that Jesus was addressing here. He knew these people were following him because of the show, the miracles, the exorcisms, the teachings, but he wanted them to understand that being a disciple was costly and that it was going to cost them everything they had, even their life in this life. Our relationship to Jesus must take priority over every single thing else in our life, our relationships with family members, our material possessions, our jobs. And so as we think of this passage, as we reset and we look at ourselves, is Jesus more important than our jobs? Is Jesus more important than our social standings? Is Jesus more important than our social image? And Jesus' words here in this passage are not something that we can afford to listen to and forget about tomorrow. They're not something that we can afford to listen to and not think about after lunch as we're thinking about ball games or what the week's going to look like. But if we have truly been touched by the Holy Spirit, Jesus says if we have truly placed our faith in Him as our Savior and as our Redeemer, That is going to be our number one priority and our number one purpose. Jesus then asks the people the same question that they asked him when they said, are few going to be saved? Jesus says, in reality, there's going to be people coming from the east, the west, the north, and the south, and they will all take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Are you going to be one of those people? Does the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life match up with what Jesus said your life is going to look like is a person who has placed their faith and their trust and their hope in him. If today you sit and you think of your life and and what it looks like, the way that you have prioritized your time, the way that you have prioritized uh, who you are and the things that you say to people, does your life line up with who Jesus says you should look like? Friends, I don't want us to play church. I don't want us to fool ourselves thinking that we have done what is necessary to cover our bases, and now we can sit back and rest and relax. But I want us to understand that through his death, Jesus took our place of condemnation for sin. And through his resurrection, he freed us from sin, and he assured us in eternity with him in heaven But we must place our faith in Him, and we must understand that our number one goal would be living as people of God's kingdom here and now, and that it's not something that we can afford to put off, it's not something that we can take for granted, it's not something that we can file away in our filing cabinet with our insurance documents, but it is something that we must realize must shape and claim who we are and how we live our lives today. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to understand that now is the time to do it. That Jesus Christ took your place of judgment that was coming for you, that is coming for you even now. And that it doesn't matter how good of a person you are. It doesn't matter if you mind your own business. It doesn't matter if you keep to yourself. But that sin is present and we are all susceptible to sin. But Jesus Christ made a way for you to experience freedom from that. And while you still may experience things in this life that he assured you that an eternity waits for you where there will be no more crying, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more sadness or pain or affliction. And all you have to do is place your faith in Jesus Christ and discover what he has for you in the life that he has for you. But he says it's not something that you can wait to do because you need to do it now. We don't know when death is coming. We don't know what waits for us. Do you need to reset your life today, either a theology that you've grown up with that does not match up with the word of God or a theology of how you've been living life apart from Jesus Christ? I invite you to do that today. I thank you for joining in. I thank you for listening. And I pray that in the next few weeks, we can gather again together and we can worship God together through what he's done through his son, Jesus Christ. As you go out, go in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.